Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Stay the course. Stay the course. Right? Self-control. Stay the course. Sober-minded. Clear. Clear-minded. Clear thinking. Don't allow things to come into your mind that are going to cloud it up or distract you or take your eyes off of the Lord. You have to, you are, you're like the gatekeeper to your mind. Nothing comes in that you don't allow to come in. Okay, you can't blame anybody else for what you allow into your mind. Are you tired of feeling weighed down by the negativity and chaos in the world around you? Do you long for peace and clarity of mind? In today's message, Pastor James talks about how we can have control over what goes into our minds, so we need to keep it centered on Christ. When we focus on what's good, what's pure and true, our minds become clearer and our hearts are filled with hope. Instead of dwelling on negativity and fear, we can meditate on the love and grace of our Savior. Now here's Pastor James in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. First Peter chapter 4, we're going through First Peter, and we've been learning a lot about our favorite subject, and that's suffering. You asked, we did a poll, and you're like, can we just learn more about suffering? No, we never did that, and you wouldn't have even put that down, honestly, because I certainly wouldn't have put it down. I wouldn't have been like, yeah, yeah, I'd like to learn more about suffering, you know? I feel like I could use more of that in my life. Nobody does that. I'm reading through the one-year Bible, and I'm in the book of Job, and I'm like, oh, Job, Okay. What a good dude. What a great man. I mean, but I don't want to hear his story. I'm like, I don't want to go. Look, Lord, I don't want to, because I don't know about you. Sometimes I, I read through the word, and then the application is sometimes even just given to you to live out. Like, you don't always have to seek it out. It just happens. And I'm like, please, Lord, okay? I'm going into Job. Lord, I'm going to give you a heads up. I don't want to go through what he went through. I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, and then he's like, James, stop worrying, okay? But suffering, it's a part of the deal it's a part of the deal, and I'm going to keep saying this until we're done with First Peter, all right? Suffering is what you signed up for, being a Christian. Now, I know that's not a good selling point, but I'm not here to sell you anything. I'm not here to sell you anything. If I can sell it to you, then somebody else can sell you something else down the road, because there are better salesmen out there than me, all right? I'm not here to sell you anything. I'm here to tell you the truth. And that when you, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ as a Christ follower, suffering was a part of the package. Because if he suffered, we will suffer. Now, that's not a bad thing. We don't like it. You don't have to like it. But it is beneficial. There are benefits to it. And so as Peter is used by the Holy Spirit to write this letter to these people in the Turkey, Asia Minor region that Jacqueline was telling us about, they're going through it, man. They're suffering. They're losing their jobs. They're losing family members. It's costing them everything to be a Christian. Everything. And Peter's just, he's encouraging them. And he's like, look, you know, chapter four so far has been about like, this is how you once were defined before you met Jesus. And we're done with that. We've closed that chapter in your life. 
Now it's a new beginning. It's a fresh new start in Jesus, which means that old you does not carry over into the new chapters. Yeah, you're the same person, but technically in Christ, you're a new creation. And you're going to carry over some baggage. There's going to be some stuff that you need to deal with throughout the entire process of this journey that he has you on. Because again, it's not about perfection. It's about process and progress. But Peter's encouraging these guys, like, look, I know the fire has been turned up on you guys. I know the suffering is extreme for you guys, but you cannot bail on Jesus. You cannot bail on Jesus. You cannot go, you know, in our brains, we're, we're wired this way to where it's like, whoa, you know, we've sought out different things that would bring relief to us, you know, in stressful times. And the temptation for each and every one of us is just like Peter had said last, last week, verses one through six, the temptation is to go back, but that's not who you are. So you got to press on. And, and how do we do that? How do we press on when the temperature gets turned up in our lives? And when the suffering is at like unbearable, you know, levels, what do we do? In verse seven is where we're going to be, verses seven through 11, Peter is going to lovingly encourage us and teach us really four ways to live in the last days. Spoiler alert, you're living in the last days, okay? I'll define that in a second, but I just want you, want, you, I want you to know that. You're living in the last days. So since we're living in the last days, how then should we live in these last days? Verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Well, there you go, right? There's Peter. Now, wait a minute, Peter. This is almost 2,000 years ago. Come on. The, end of, the early church lived with expectancy, and that is something that is missing from the modern church. We are not living in expectancy of Jesus returning at any time. We're not. Some of us are. I'm not going to put everybody into one category. I'm talking about the church at large is really just asleep. It's really just asleep. We're not watching and waiting by and large. And we know that because of, well, what is the state of the church? It's not healthy. Universally not really healthy. In our country, it's not healthy at all. It's not. It's very apathetic. We have fallen asleep. Why did we fall asleep? Because we took our eyes off of Jesus. We made it more about us than him. We've we've made it more about us than him. And I'm not here to beat up on the church. The church is the bride of Christ. We love the church. We're a part of the capital C church. But this is something that we all, we should live just like the, the early church did. They lived with expectancy. He could come back at any moment in time. As soon as they saw that empty tomb, they knew he could come back at any time. As soon as they saw him ascend up into the heavens, they knew and they lived their lives in such a way where they were expecting him to return even within that moment. They weren't getting caught up in all the stuff of like, yeah, there's prophecy things and all that, and those are good and helpful and all that. But they were like, well, our eyes are fixed on him. We're looking to the sky because he could literally come back at any moment in time. We as believers, if you want to make it through these last days, and technically when Jesus rose from the grave and he ascended to the right hand of the Father, we entered into the last days. So if we're going to make it through these last days, there's, there's some helpful things that we have to do. 
Okay, so all we got to do is just read through the text and it provides them for us. And I love it. I love it when it works out like this, right? It says, the end of all things is at hand. Number one, when I say that, here, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to freak out. I don't want you to panic. You, we don't need more chicken littles running around, right? Like the, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. No, calm down. Calm down. If you're a believer, you have nothing to worry about. You have nothing to worry about. If anything, this should excite you. The end of all things is at hand. And as true as that was close to 2,000 years ago, it is just as true today. And maybe even, I mean, prophetically, more true today. There is nothing standing in the way, prophetically, to prevent Jesus from coming back. Nothing. They've all been done. The boxes have been checked. Nothing, literally nothing prophetically stands in the way of him coming back. Nothing. That's exciting times to live in because it really could happen. Even now. No? Okay. All right. Well, keep going. All right. It says, therefore, that's our connecting words. There's our bridge into the next part. Since the end of all things is at hand, therefore, this is how we should live our lives. Okay? Be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. Or New Living Translation is, be earnest, right? The Tree of Life version is, be self-controlled. It, it just, it's that, that thing of like, don't lose it. Don't lose it. Don't panic. Don't fret. Don't get into a frenzy is one of the, uh, one of the, the Greek terms there that, that comes off of this word. Don't become frantic, right? All the end is near. And you lose it. No, 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 no. Stay focused. Stay in control of your emotions. Of your emotions. Stay in control of what you're allowing to come into your mind and process through. Okay? The end times thing has this, this really weird phenomenon with it where everybody wants to write books about the end times. Okay? Which is fine. Unless you're putting like dates on it and then you're wrong, then, you know, just don't, don't write the book. Don't, if, you, if you have like, oh, I know when it's going to be, don't write the book, okay? Because it's just, you're wasting your time, right? So nobody knows the day or the hour, okay? End time stuff, love it. It's fascinating. It's, it's, it kind of stirs up that thing inside of you, like this eagerness of like, I can't wait, can't wait, can't wait. I love doing deep dives into heaven and what that may be like and all that fun stuff. I, I cannot wait, but we're not there yet. We're not there yet. So we want to be educated on the signs and being aware of, you know, what's happening in our world. You have to keep one eye on that, one eye on the Lord. And then somehow, you know, I don't know, maybe the Lord can give you an extra eye, but you know, also one eye on some other things. Okay. But this is how we ought to live. And it's, it's a self-controlled kind of a thing. Now, what I, what I appreciate about that is if I look into Galatians chapter five, I also see that the fruit singular, fruit of the Spirit, not fruits, fruit of the Spirit is self-control. The Lord's like, hey, I'm going to leave you guys. Uh, It's better that I go so that the Helper comes, the Holy Spirit. He's going to take up residency, occupancy inside of you, which we always think like, no, it'd be better to have Jesus here with us. And he's like, you have no idea. You have no idea. God, third person of the Trinity, living in you. In you. Yeah, done, deal. Let's do that. That sounds good. 
right? So the spirit living in you can give you this self-control. So don't lose control. Don't lose your mind. Don't get frenzied, frenzied or, or frantic or, or anything like that. The other part of this is and be sober-minded. So self-controlled and sober-minded. So self-control, and I, I use the word steady, steady. Stay the course, stay the course, right? Self-control, stay the course. Sober-minded, clear, clear-minded, clear thinking. Don't allow things to come into your mind that are going to cloud it up or distract you or take your eyes off of the Lord. You have to, you are, you're like the gatekeeper to your mind. Nothing comes in that you don't allow to come in. Okay, you can't blame anybody else for what you allow into your mind. I know the world's wicked. I know the world's bad. I know the world has got all sorts of stuff, messages they want to send to you for you to receive. But it is up to you and I to be the gatekeepers of our minds. What we allow in. And we have to be diligent. We have to be, what, steadfast, self-controlled, and watchful what we let into our minds. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite guys ever, Prince of Preachers is what they called him. He says, you can't control the birds flying over your head, but you can keep them from nesting in your hair, okay? You have no control over the messages being sent in this world, but you do have control over letting them take up occupancy within your minds. That's why Paul would tell the, to the believers in Rome, you know, we need, what we need is a renewal of our mind. And that's, uh, I always liken that to, you know, growing up as uh, teenagers, preteen teenagers, uh, I don't know what it is, but somebody had a brilliant idea of like developing posters, right? I don't know when it started, probably hundreds of years ago, but we would put posters on our walls, right? And I don't know what posters you would have on your walls. I'm not going to judge you for those or whatever, or whatever teen, you know, dream was on your wall or whatever that may have been. Our mind is like that. We will put posters up in our minds. And there comes a day when you meet Jesus Christ and you surrender your life to him and you give him access to your mind. And you say, I need a new mind. I need a renewal of my mind. What that means is he, gets, he has permission to come into your mind, so to speak, and tear down those old posters. And let's put up new posters. Let's start putting up new posters. That renewal of your mind is a daily thing, which you get to participate in. What you get to participate in. So what posters are you picking now to have plastered in your brain? That's up to you. That's why we say read your Bibles. Pray, meditate on scriptures. Because those are the, that's the post our, our I want happening in my mind. Take down all those old fleshly ones, Lord, please. And let's put up new posters in my mind. I want to be clear-minded. I want to, I want to keep cool in, in the midst of, of, of suffering and trials and all that stuff, Lord. I want to be sober-minded. I, I want to remain chill in the midst of those things. It's kind of what he's saying my terminology, but that's, you get it. Keep cool, sober-minded, clear. I wrote down a bunch of definitions, and I, they're just, if you saw this piece of paper, you'd know why I don't teach from notes. Um, I really don't teach from notes at all uh, because of this. So I'm looking through it, and I'm like, I had a definition somewhere. That's, 
If you want to know what my brain looks like, look at this piece of paper. So anyways, I'll, I'll move away from that. Sober-minded. So that's, that's, that's like the one key thing for us in these last days. Sober-minded. Don't, don't become intoxicated. Don't become intoxicated. In, in, in that term, I know that term, we always ascribe that to alcohol. But it goes beyond that. It goes beyond that. Okay? Don't allow something to grab hold of and take control of your thought process. Okay? Because everything wants that. Everything. The, the major media wants to control how you think. I mean, they're even devising, you know, these little chips and stuff that they can implant into your brain so they can control what you think. And that's not even science fiction. That's like real life stuff that we thought like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, like, oh, I don't know if that'll ever happen. Now we're like, oh, they're like actually developing that stuff. Oh, cool. Well, no, not cool. Keep that away from me. Like, I have a hard enough time. I don't need you injecting into my brain, whatever. In these last days, you have to be clear-minded. You have to be sober-minded. You have to stay focused on Jesus. You have to. You have to. If you're going to make it, self-control, sober-minded. And here's the benefit, as Peter would say, for the sake of your prayers. So for the sake of your prayers, or as other translations would say, in your prayers. So these two are connected together. Self-control, sober-minded, and your prayer life. Those things are all connected. So when you pray, you should be self-controlled. You should be sober-minded as you are praying. Because if, if, and it is true that we are in the, the end of all things is at hand, we better be praying more now than we ever have before. Like, you, if, if, you're, if you're waiting to start praying... Like, hello, this is now. Like, this is your moment. Like, this is the end of all is here. So pray. But as you pray, go into that conversation with your heavenly father, self-controlled and clear-minded. Those are disciplines. Those are good, healthy disciplines for us to engage into prayer life with. And, And it makes sense. If I was to have a conversation with you and I just engage in you with a conversation, I just begin speaking all sorts of scattered things and nonsense, that's not much of a conversation. And I'm not saying you schedule out or plan out what you're going to say with God. I'm not saying that at all. But I present myself to him when I go to him in prayer of like, okay, Lord, you have my mind, you have my heart, you have my emotions, you have everything. I just want to speak clearly to you. He knows everything. He has this amazing ability. It's kind of like you moms have ability with your toddlers. Like, there's many years of my kids' life, I had no idea what they were saying at all. Like, I don't know what they were saying. Like, from a certain age to a certain age, they say stuff, and I'm like, I don't know. And I just give them stuff. Like, that's just what you do as a dad. Like, oh, I think you want this, but I don't know. And Nellie can shout from the other room, no, they said this. I'm like, I, how did you even interpret that? Like, is it like tongues, and you have the gift of interpretation? I don't know what's going on. I don't know if all your dads are like that, but that's just kind of how I function. And I just roll with it. I'm like, all right, whatever. I don't know what you're saying, but we can have a conversation. The Lord is so good. And there's sometimes we approach him and we go to pray and we don't know what to pray. And that's fine. That's when the spirit comes in 
And he knows how to intercede on behalf of us and give us words. And it's just beautiful. The dynamic of prayer, of prayer life is a beautiful thing. So we don't have to like formulate it and structure it and all that good stuff. But we should approach him out of reverence as holy, almighty God with a clear mind. Like eliminate those distractions. Set those things aside before you go to prayer. You all, you do it, you do exactly what I do. You go to pray and then a million things into your mind that distracts you from it. And you're like, oh, oh I'm sorry, Lord, I got, I got distracted. And that was like five minutes ago. And I don't know what's going on in my head. Clear-minded. Clear-minded. Okay? It's a discipline. Don't beat yourself up if you find yourself doing that. But again, just, this is something to practice. Like before you start praying... Say, okay, Lord, help me to focus. Help me to focus. We need that in these last days. And it will benefit your prayer life, and your prayer life should be increasing each and every day as the day draws nearer, okay? You should be like uh, James, one of uh, Jesus's 12. They called him camel knees. They called him camel knees because he had calluses on his knees because he prayed so much, because he prayed so much. In these last days, that's what we should be like, praying often, often, and with clarity and with purpose. And I heard Skip Heitzig uh, share this yesterday. You can pray for everything and nothing at the same time. Be specific in your prayer life. Have a prayer list. Pray through that thing. Pray for people. Lord, I just want to pray for the entire world. Hey, that's cool. But you got any specifics? Like, you, got, you know somebody? You don't know everybody, but do you know somebody? Because I'm sure they would appreciate your prayers. Name them. I pray for all these situations. Sweet. Do you, are you getting any specifics? Because he's, he's a real God. And he likes dealing with you on a real heart-to-heart level. You don't talk to people that way. We don't talk to each other that way. And if you're always speaking in generalities, then it's like, okay, can we talk like, like as real people? Like, you're like, I'm here with you instead of all this weird generalities and stuff. Pray for those things. Pray for all that. Get specific with them. And that's part of being clear-minded is you're praying for, I got a list. I'm praying for these people. I got a list of things that I'm praying about. And you're just praying for these things. You can pray for the world. I'm not saying you can't pray for the world. Don't get me wrong. Do that. Pray for you know, everybody's situation, but at some point in time in that communication between you and God, please tell me you're getting specific. Please tell me you're naming names and you're actually interceding on behalf of someone, not everyone, because that's cool, but he's placed people in your life who need prayer for specific things. Pray for those specific people. We need that. Sober-minded. It's going to benefit our prayer, our, our prayer life as well. Here's the other thing. We got sober-minded, which is going to, and as your, you know, your prayer life and you're praying for other people, verse 8, it says, above all. Sounds important, right? It's because it is. Above all, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. So as he's addressing Christians in a time in which they are suffering tremendously, he's saying, stay focused, keep praying, 
love each other fervently, fervently. In the book of First Peter, you hear a lot about suffering. Our own suffering is something that we have to work through. And Peter reminds us that Jesus suffered too. First Peter chapter 2 says, For this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. A few verses later it says, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return when he suffered. He did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. What Peter's getting at in these verses is that as a Christian, you're going to suffer persecution. But Jesus wasn't exempt from suffering either. In fact, he was treated worse than anyone, although he was without sin. Imagine being completely guiltless, faultless, sinless. It just seems so wrong for Jesus to have been falsely accused the way he was. May you find strength and courage in the fact that Jesus suffered at the hands of brutal and mean-spirited men. He knows what you're going through right now, and you can turn to Jesus for comfort and help. You've been listening to Pastor James Grizzle here on Bread for the Broken. If you'd like to hear additional messages like this one, go to breadforthebroken.com. Thanks so much for listening to today's teaching here in the book of 1 Peter. We'll be back next time with more as the Apostle Peter speaks some encouraging words that our souls will want to hear. So come back again next time to Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.